Hello, my name is Nene White, and I'm so glad to welcome you to the Not Your Normal Social Emotional Learning Podcast. In this episode, which is part two about the brain science of learning, we'll be examining the role of mistakes. And rather than treating students' mistakes as bothersome, time-consuming, time-consuming drawbacks to be avoided, or worse, erroneously concluding that your students' mistakes point to your less than stellar teaching skills, which they don't, mistakes and errors can be your key to success by providing roadmaps to students' ultimate learning progress and social-emotional well-being. Have you ever thought about how valuable mistakes can be for your learning processes? And likewise, for your students' learning processes. The thing about mistakes is, whether we appreciate those pesky mistakes or not, they're proof that we've got some skin in the game, even if just a little, which can translate into increasing motivation to make those mistakes go away. Rather than treating students' mistakes as bothersome, time-consuming drawbacks to be avoided or, or worse, confer- confirmation of your less-than-stellar teaching skills, mistakes and errors can very definitely provide roadmaps to students' ultimate learning advantages. Why? Because mistakes help students build knowledge that fits in with how their own individual brains structure information, information that gets remembered, used, and transferred forward into related situations. James Zull, in his book, The Art of Changing the Brain, explains that learning changes the physiological structure of the brain. Instead of trying to stop our students from making mistakes, because, as James Zoll explains, teachers can, with open-minded and flexible observation, use students' errors as clues and directions for improving their students' understanding. The key here is that errors help identify gaps in students' neuronal networks and provide ideas for how to build on and fill in those networks with new ways of looking at familiar situations. Am I being too abstract and theoretical? I do have a tendency in that direction. Sorry about that. So here's an example that might help. How often do we see young children wipe food from their faces with their hands, arms, or sleeves of their shirts? Or, horrors, how often do we see young children wipe their runny noses with their hands, arms, sleeves, or their shirts? Rather than point-blank correcting those mistaken behaviors, which of course we've done many times, which are those because those mistakes are pretty much automatic behaviors, in other words, behaviors to which those face-wiping, nose-wiping kids have definitely not given much, if any, thought. Instead, we can use their mistakes to help them think about, learn, and independently remember to use alternative behaviors, which by the way, will require less and very quickly zero reminders from you. Okay, so we want to help students remember by using their mistakes to help them build their knowledge and construct new understanding based on their previous experiences. How? 
If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then you probably know my answer. Questions. Questions are the solution for most of the challenges our young students present each and every day. But careful now. The questions mustn't be too direct at the start. Here's how I've done it with groups of kiddos in my kinder classes. First, I show them a picture of a kid eating a messy sandwich, resulting in lots of messy mistakes for the kid in the picture, all over his face. Great. Let the questions begin. What does it look like that boy is eating? Raise your hand if you like to eat sandwiches. Who would like to tell us about their favorite kind of sandwich? Raise your hand if you don't like to eat sandwiches. Why don't you like to eat sandwiches? Who thinks sandwiches get messy sometimes? What is the messiest kind of food you ever ate? It could even be a different kind of food, like, mm, I don't know, do you have any ideas? What about spaghetti or salad or soup? How is this boy's hand going to look after he wipes his face with it? Where will the food that's on his hand go when he finishes eating? On his shirt? On his pants? Someplace else? Or maybe it's just going to stay there forever and ever and ever. What do you think? And you wait for their answers for all of these. And then I show a picture of a kid using a napkin, and I asked, Hey, what's that thing in front of his mouth? What's he doing with that? Who can tell us why napkins were invented? Who has an idea about that? Who uses paper napkins in their home? What happens to paper napkins after we use them? Who has seen the truck that comes to take trash away? How big is it? How much trash or recycling can it hold? Who uses cloth napkins in their home? What happens to cloth napkins after we use them? Who does the laundry in your home? Do you help sometimes? If so, what do you do to help with the laundry? What you've done with all these questions is related their previous experiences, which are mistakes, but obviously no need to be labeled as mistakes, so you've presented a relevant and relatable image to them with questions that get them thinking, thinking together in fresh and creative ways about familiar situations to which they really hadn't given any thought before. And I promise those kids that engaged in that group discussion, they cannot ever not associate messy eating with using napkins, which is why behaviors really do change with far less and sometimes zero reminders from you. In part three of this mini-series on the brain science of learning, we'll explain more about why this approach works so very, very well with maximum student engagement for everyone's benefit with zero resistance, otherwise known as win-win. Mistakes happen. There's no avoiding them. They're part of the learning process. And with our understanding about the brain science of learning, 
we can be all the more skillful at using mistakes to increase and accelerate our students' social-emotional learning for everyone's advantage. This brief explanation about the role of mistakes in the learning process should also hopefully help us to help our students and ourselves have a friendlier attitude towards mistakes, maybe even a little more courageous attitude towards mistakes and risks. In part three of this mini-series on the brain science of learning, we'll provide a simple explanation about four physical areas of the brain that must be engaged and enlivened for real learning to happen. It's not complicated, and you're probably doing this with your students more often than you realize. Meantime, go make some mistakes in front of your students and show them how you've learned from your mistakes and how not horrible it is to make mistakes. Your students will love you for it.